1: Good morning out there all you short term shoppers it's Avery Carl and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of, so I get a lot of emails from y'all every week and I love getting emails from you by the way I love talking to our listeners. And a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets. And what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the Short-Term Show is actually a subsidiary of the Short-Term Shop, which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by eXp, I have to say that or I get in trouble, in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next and all of that really fun stuff. So if you wanna be a part of the short-term shop community, if you wanna buy a house with us, we really wanna help you guys. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the short term show. I have a really cool guest today. Y'all know that I talk all the time about having a diverse portfolio and not just having tunnel vision on short term rental investing. Short term rentals are really just more of a cash flow turbocharger to build your portfolio in whichever direction you want to go, but I'm a big believer in a diverse portfolio. So today we have Jerome Maldonado. He is the CEO of J. Jacob Enterprises and co author of own your own dreams, take possession of the life you deserve. So he's done a lot of cool things, a lot of real estate investing, and specifically in distressed hotels and also other types of businesses outside of real estate investing. So I think this will be a really good episode in terms of diversification. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and introduce Jerome. Hey, Jerome, how's it going?
0: Good, Avery. Thanks for having me this morning. Really appreciate you guys having me on the show and look forward to look forward to the morning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me mean, I love first thing Monday morning interviews. I am such a better person in the mornings. I'm much more productive. I'm much more like I'm not tired and, and jaded from the week yet. So this is a good bright and early Monday morning interview.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sure is.
1: Yeah. Well, cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us who you are, what you do, all that fun stuff.
0: I was kind of listening to you uh, intro the podcast and um, and talk about short term rentals and long term portfolios, and it, it you know one of the the reasons I got into real estate and it wasn't because I I really had a goal to be a, a real estate investor, but it was more to protect myself against uh, ever losing in business again. I, I rode the same business roller coaster, the ups and downs, uh, especially in early years, with um, making some money, losing some money, making some money, doing something different, and then losing some money again and Um, The real reason I got into into real estate, Avery, was because I felt it was going to give me stability in my life. And it has, Um, you know, obviously there's a learning curve to figuring out what asset class you need to invest in. So when you guys talk about short term rentals and long term holds and, um, you know, it it brings in that whole feeling of, okay, I got a business and I'm making some cash flow. But it's it's active income and um, everything that I was taught in early years comes from my early network marketing Um, years, and it was all about building a a business that I had passive residual income. And real estate um, has given that to me, uh, more so than the network market industry. It was a great start, but um, uh, short-lived. Five years of that and over a 28-year career. uh, The mass majority of my my, um, life, I've been in construction and real estate and um, soon found out that uh, passive income was the way that uh, real estate purchasing... Needed to be long term to retire and do everything that we've been able to do thus far, and uh, continue being able to build and and put a portfolio together that was going to hold long term.
1: Awesome, awesome. So I see a lot in our Facebook groups or just on Facebook in general, people uh, that are really interested in short term rental investing. They'll post something and they'll say, "Hey." has anybody ever thought about buying an apartment building and making them all short-term rentals? And I always like chuckle to myself. I'm like, okay, we've, we've come full circle here because you just independently came to the idea of a motel. Um, so tell me a little bit about your motel investing. Cause that I think there are a lot of people out there who find that really intriguing. So let's hear about that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's the way we actually embarked upon the uh, distressed hotels uh, was, was, Almost like any great opportunity, you know, unforeseen circumstances. Um, the pandemic hit. Um, Ty Lopez and I—if if any of the listeners know who he is—he's you know big social media influencer, not a real estate guy. Um, I, I I come into the real estate end of the business, and um, him and I partner up. He's running his e-commerce stuff. Starts buying a lot of distressed uh, brands like Radio Shack, Pier One Imports, and um, and so we have some ownership interest in in uh, those brands together. And we're we're talking about purchasing boutique hotels just prior to this, and we're we're purchasing hotels and looking at stuff at acquiring hotels down in the Miami area because it's an international uh, it's an international market, you know, it's a bit beltway to Latin America, and if you go anywhere in the world and you say Miami, um, everybody pretty well knows it, right? You can go into a third world country and say Miami, and everybody knows it. It's just that that primary uh, brand name market. And so we started looking at uh, distressed hotels in that area, and when we were doing it, part of that model was that the vacancies—not not the hotel itself, but the vacancies would be short-term rentals, right? So still a hotel model, but we would market it through Airbnb, uh, Verbo, and some of the other um, short-term rental sites out there. And then we, we then the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, it changed things. People weren't traveling. A lot of the hotels that we were gonna purchase, we landed up going in, into halt mode. Uh, that's when the distressed brands became very uh, uh, very apparent that it was gonna be a great time, e-commerce boomed. And so we started, so I, what I started doing was saying, look, there's a great opportunity here. Hotels um, are taking a beating. Uh, there's, no, there's no corporate travel. Uh, there's no events happening anywhere. Um, And they were talking two to three years before things came back to normal. So here we sit um, two years post pandemic uh, when it was originally announced and we're now getting back to that flow. So they were right. It was took two years. So we started looking at distress brands. We started looking at a little Hawthorne Inn and Suites. We uh, purchased one down in Tucson and um, I mean, not in Tucson in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, there was some Motel 6 brands and there was a, a lot of, uh, La Quinta's and just small, small hotel brands that were sitting in a financial situation where there was distress because there was no corporate travel and uh, there was no leisure travel. And so because of that, we uh, started looking at those distressed brands. Now, understand where there is, where there is times of distress, I always tell people there's opportunity. So as soon as is the pandemic hit, most people folded. Right, Most people fold up and they go into a reserved mode where they stop working, uh, they don't know what to do, they uh, they halt, they're afraid to make any moves uh, because they're afraid if the move they make, if they make the wrong move, it's going to be uh, detrimental to their financial success. Um, what, what financially wealthy people do, um, when you look at generational wealth and you look at big money and you look at um, entrepreneurs, one of the first things you'll notice is that when things shift and there's a downturn in any type of economic cycle, um, they're looking for opportunities to take advantage of. And being that we've been self-employed and I've been an entrepreneur for 30 years now, um, really 28 of our of my professional career, you know, we're, we're kind of trained to look for, for problems, but not to look for them um, to, to dwell on them, but look for problems that we can repair. Because if you find a problem and you find a solution to that problem, um, you'll get wealthy, you'll mass a fortune doing it. And I was taught that early years. And so when we realized that the hospitality industry had been beat up, uh, we figured let's go in. Um, hotels, I mean, the apartment complex sector has gotten sexy for people to buy because of the returns and the need for uh, for, for multifamily apartments. And so why not just take distressed assets and um, rebrand them and put them into an asset class that's needed? And that was rooftops under the multifamily sector. And so that's what we did. Uh, We started purchasing distressed hotel brands and turning them into multifamily back about uh, two, two and a half years ago. So it's been a great little ride. And we've since have started to pivot again and and shift our our interest, but it was a great little sector to hit for a couple of years.
1: Okay. So I have a lot of questions about this. All right. So the, (laughs) the brands that you were buying, are these franchises of Motel 6 and La Quinta and things like that, or how does that work?
0: Yeah, we we landed up like anything. We started up planting a lot of seeds with brokers um, in the uh, in the hotel industry. And for any of you guys who know the hotel industry, it's a very um, it, it's a very hush hush inner circle. Okay, so unless you know somebody in the hotel and hospitality space, or you yourself have experience in it, they almost just x you out. And so we're. Where our leverage came in is I landed a buying a Howard Johnson Hotel back in 2004 that I owned for two years, turned it into a a Best Western. And I had just enough run with the hotel um, industry, the restaurant, bar, and hotel industry, that I I knew I didn't want to do that for a living. It wasn't the asset class that I liked, Uh, but it was a great education. And it also was a great networking. And when I got into that in 2004, I realized that back then that when I first went in in 2003 to start looking at some of these assets, nobody would talk to me. Um, I couldn't I couldn't get anybody on the phone. Um, when I did get them on the phone, first question they had was what type of experience I had. And they just didn't want to have anything to do with me um, in regards to the hotel brands. It was a very hush-hush industry and in a very inner circle built industry. Everybody knew everybody. A lot of associations a lot of um, inner circle members and people that had been uh, long-term generational buyers in the hotel industry um so i had a lie to them to get in i did asked me if i had any experience in the hotel industry i said yes they have any ownership in it. and i told them yes and um, I that was my bear of entry you know was um to get in and and you know i mean little white lies right i um I had some a little bit of hospitality experience growing up uh, working as in, in high school and in college, um, but nothing in ownership. We had ownership of a lot of real estate, retail, and office at that time. And um, we had worked jointly with uh, some of the, uh, the hospitality brands. So w- knowing that, when we went in in 2019 to start looking at some of these, um, immediately I started exercising some of the contacts that we had from uh, prior years. When I had gotten into the hotel industry, started calling some of the brokerage firms that we had reached out to years prior, and being that it is such a small industry, they didn't remember me, but they did. Uh, but I did have name. I did have name recognition. People that I had worked with, so there was contacts, and so immediately we started getting leverage on being able to get deal flow coming our direction, especially at a time where people really didn't know where to go. Right. We didn't know what the pandemic was going to bring in March, April, May, June, July, August of 2019. Um, so people started reaching back out to us. And um, we uh, soon found that we had an asset class that was going to work. Um, but not only us, it became a very attractive asset class very quick. So we saw a lot of uh, institutional buyers. We saw a lot of investors, a lot of multifamily uh, folks uh, start migrating to the same sector. And uh, so it became very competitive very early on.
1: Okay. So let's talk about converting a hotel into multifamily long-term housing. So uh, what is the, when you're going to do something like that, what does the rehab look like? Like how do you analyze, okay, this is how much they want. Because I would imagine it's difficult to find a deal that's going to work for long-term rental prices from a cash-on-cash return perspective but I don't know anything that's why you're here so uh tell me how that just walk me through that entire process
0: so hotels are sold on on keys right so how many how many keys and doors they have and so is so is apartment complexes um because hotels are sold based on revenue um just like any piece of real estate and revenues were compromised we were able to go in and they were considered distressed assets so obviously they were discounted prices now, one of the first challenges, if you if you even consider going into this asset class, is zoning. That was our biggest that was our biggest challenge. Um, there's a lot of um, city planners that go in. They have a master plan of how the city's supposed to grow. And when they put that master plan together, they they put it they sector it based on um, how much retail needs to be in that sector, how much office needs to be in that sector, how much multifamily needs to be in that sector, how much single family, how many how much hotels and um, you know, and everything that kind of follows suit in that area. And that's how they put the the master plan of growth for any community together, any city. And so that we found like we went into, for sake of example, we went into um, Chicago and we went into some smaller areas in Chicago, some suburb areas. And there was uh, there was areas that were just developed within the last decade. And so we went in there trying to get zone changes, Um, there was resistance because it didn't fit their master plan. And basically the zoning officials told us, look, it doesn't really fit the direction of the the progressive growth of our city right now. So let's take a look at it in a year from now. We may be open-minded, more so open-minded to changing the zoning to multifamily in a year from now, if we have all these hotels that just land up sitting empty. And so those municipalities over the course of time landed up selling at discounted prices to other hotel." names and they kept the zoning. But there were other ones that were older hotel brands. And what we found is the the ones that had maturity had been hotels for 30 years, 25 years, 40 years. Um, Those were the ones where the city um, was more apt to working with us, um, where they become drug ridden. Homelessness was an issue and we were able to go in and uh, work with the city to clean it up and um, also go in there and buy it at a distressed price. And uh, the city was more apt to say, you know what, we would love to see a change in this area. And so it has to be a win-win situation with the municipality. And so first and foremost, we would talk to the municipality and see if we gain support from their city planners. And then if we did, and uh, we'd start the process of the zone change. And sometimes it didn't require a zone change. So we also would look at that, too. Sometimes it would just be considered a, a use change uh, with the zoning. And so people that are looking at this, they can sit back and make that phone call to the city, the county or the municipality that they're in and find out even if there is a zone change or if there's just a use change. And then you, then you start working um, into the uh, renovations, the rehab. Um, you know, typically uh, we'll talk to a multifamily broker, Avery, and that's our second call after we deal with the city is we call a multifamily broker. And if it, those of you guys who are in the multifamily space, uh, one of the big things that we, uh, that, that we leverage to make sure that an asset class is going to be stable is we talk to the, uh, to the broker in that area. And we ask them, is there a need for, um, for this type of a, uh, for this type of product? Because a lot of the hotels you're taking a hundred doors and you're turning them into studio apartments or one bedroom apartments. Sometimes you'll have two bedroom and you'll have suites that you could turn into two bedroom apartments, but there's various, there's usually a very small number of those. So you have to be, in a market sector that supports it. So like for example, Tucson's a big uh, college town. So the need for uh, small uh, micro, what I would call micro units or, or studios um, is attractive, you know, in college towns. So you go into areas where there's a lot of um, small single-use um, renters, like college students, um, they work out really well. But if you go into family communities where people need to see two-bedroom apartments or or more, uh, they don't work out as well. And so we talk to the multifamily brokers. That's our second call. We say, hey, look, we're looking at this hotel conversion. If we convert this to X amount of one-bedrooms and X amount of studios, will they lease? Do you guys see a need for that in the market? And sometimes they would tell us yes, and sometimes they would tell us it would be challenging. And so if they told us it would be challenging we either walk from the project or we'd need a substantial discount on the project to make it viable and so um, that would be the second thing and then we go back in and uh, we have a little model of how we renovate them how we turn um, how we get the closets in there um, the way we put in the burners for the stovetops and the cooktops and the stoves and um, and they land up coming out to be really nice cool little micro units um, you know and where we adapted that model was from the uh, seattle area Um, That's where Google and uh, LinkedIn and uh, Kirtland Brands from Costco. There's a lot of tech growth that's in that area and micro apartments are very, very popular. So we got an opportunity um, to go in with a a good friend of mine named Ramez Dabbs and we got a um, tour. Some of these micro properties and um, really unique, really cool, a great learning experience on how we would renovate these uh, these distressed hotel brands. And so we were able to go in and take a look at these micro units. And uh, it was really creative ways of the way of the way the cabinets, the storage, the, uh, the closet space, the kitchens, uh, just a, a real, a real fond way of, uh, of finding out how and learning about how to mo- actually renovate them into apartments.
1: That's awesome. So you're actually going into a, a hotel room basically and turning it into a little apartment so are you when you're buying them when you're choosing which hotel to buy are they hotels that already are kind of little suites that have a kitchen area or are you starting with just a blank slate hotel room with no Uh, we
0: started with complete slate hotel rooms and the ones that we've done and um, i'll tell you that we've actually um because of how competitive it got, we actually become more successful in converting old office space into multifamily, which we actually have a few of them going right now. Uh, but, the, um, but most of them don't. So we'd go into like a, uh, some of the um, brands like um, the uh, Driftwood Homes and Suites, you know, and a lot of the um, long term, the long term stay hotels. Uh, were very attractive to us. But what we found with those is a lot of them were newer brands. So we had a lot of leverage. We didn't have a lot of leverage. We were getting resistance from the cities and municipalities every time we'd go in for zone changes on a lot of those. So we did a La Quinta. Um, The La Quinta was fun because if you look at the La Quinta brands, they have that old Spanish uh, style roofing on them. Um, The rooms are typically a little bit bigger. And uh, that was a fun one. Um, We did that one down in uh, Mesa in Arizona. And I'll tell you that that was a that was a little home run. The courtyards, everything about that property felt like a multifamily apartment complex when we first bought it. Had section buildings, multiple buildings through there. Um, the way the clubhouse was situated. Um, and I'll tell you, we didn't we didn't really close our minds, Avery, to anything. We opened our minds to every everything that was out there, from little motel sixes, which were the less desi- the least desirable to us. Um, and we had a lot of Motel 6s coming our direction, and most of them were no's when we uh, got to them because they were in really, a lot of them were in really slummy, bad areas, uh, a lot of high high prostitution, high drug uh, use in those areas, just really tough uh, to convert an entire area with just one one sector uh, um, changed, right? So where we found where it was going to be super challenging, we just migrated away from those. We just didn't want to, we didn't want to bear The challenge where we could go down the road and get into a better better facility. But we did get a a, a huge outreach from the Motel 6 brands. Um, One of them was successful um, out of many of them that we looked at. And so you just have to, you have to look at these uh, with logic, right? Um, And it's like any piece of real estate. Um, I always say it's like chucking oysters. Not every oyster is going to have a pearl. Um, so what you're looking for is an oyster with a pearl, right? Um, so we're sitting back, we're chucking oysters and we're just throwing them, you know, if they don't have a pearl in them, we leave. And, um, and that was what this was, um, especially when we first started, because we didn't really know what we were looking for. Avery, we, we knew we were looking for something that, um, that could be converted. Um, we needed it in an area that that made sense and that we could fill doors and, um, was going to be attractive to the end user. And so we just started, uh. We just started getting properties coming to us. That was the goal first, right? Just and that's where people make mistakes. Is that I think they hyper focus on the, the exact piece of property. And I don't know about you, Avery. In in this business, um, anytime I've hyper focused on something specific, um, I never find it. Um, when I just kind of say, "Okay, this is what I'm looking for," and I plant seeds, it's some some of the, the best, most unique deals that have been the most lucrative have been deals that I need. I would have never considered. Um, they just kind of come in. Um, I have a an office building in uh, the Phoenix metro area right now. It was kind of a it was kind of a a stab in the dark. A wholesaler called us and said, "Hey, I got this old office building. Uh, you guys interested in it?" And we went down. We looked at it. And my business partner Kyle he called me up and said, "Jerome, this is kind of interesting. It has a cool little courtyard." And he goes, I think it kind of feels like multifamily. You should fly out. And uh, we weren't even looking at distressed office. We were at that time still looking at hotel brands. And so I flew out to Phoenix um, that day because it's it's only a 45 minute flight from my house. Fly out to I flew out to Phoenix and um, I, I roll in and I told him Kyle, this is great. We got a lot of extra land, a lot of parking lot space that we don't need. We can build vertical and uh, we could turn this into an apartment. So we started the process and we landed up Picking up that building for like sixty bucks a square foot, and um, we were turning it into one hundred and four doors of apartments, and we picked it up for dirt cheap. I think we've acquired the property for one point uh, for one point eight million dollars was our acquisition price for purchase, and um, one hundred and four units, you know, on that on that property. It's all under construction right now. Um, you know, we'll be all into that property for about. 12, 13 million dollars between 12 and 13 million, depending on how our expenses on materials finishes out at the end of the project here, tail end of 2022. Um, but we just had the property appraised at 29 million dollars. You know, oh my gosh. I mean, just it's it just it's just a home run. We're gonna walk out of we're gonna do a cash out refinance on that thing and hold that thing forever, you know. And it's essentially like a new build. My goodness. Yeah.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: So when you're buying one of these hotels, what is the differentiating factor that makes you decide we're going to renovate this for apartments or we're going to rent these units on Airbnb and VRBO?
0: So here's my thing now, Avery. I know everybody's excited about the Airbnb thing, and there's a lot of money to be made in Airbnb. So the the short-term rental um, model is my backup plan. In what I do gotcha. by a backup plan, I always purchase on worst case scenario. Always. I always need an exit strategy. And, and it's always better if I have more than one exit strategy. Um, so I've been in business since, since, the, uh, since 1993. Okay. Um, I'm not sitting back anymore looking for businesses. I want to be out of traditional business. The day in, day out, nine to five business. Uh, we've done that. We've built we 've created a lot of wealth from from nine to five businesses we have our construction companies we've we've owned restaurants we've been the, the largest subway franchisee here in southern New Mexico southern Colorado and New Mexico, central New Mexico for years and uh, got out of that in 2018 um, we've done that um, and, and I look at the Airbnb model as a great bear of entry okay um, the short-term rental because it, it's work um, and what I mean by that, it's active income once that tenant leaves, You you have to have a process set in place. It's a it's a day in day out business of continually continuing to release things ongoing, and you have you have to manage either the um, the arbitrage model that you put together, um, or the company that's doing it for you, right? Um, So. And we've had um, resort properties. My, my wife and I, we've owned properties at Breckenridge, and we've owned properties, you know, lake properties and mountain properties. And we've had companies like Resort Quest that have leased them for us. We've had the Wyndham. We've owned properties that the Wyndham resorts have, have leased for us. Um, and those work out great because we really are hands off. Uh, But we're not really exercising the Airbnb model. It's more of a hotel type model, right? Um, And I'm a hands-off guy at this point in time. I want that. I want a true, a real passive residual income. So what I love about multifamily versus the uh, short-term rental market, um, and nothing against the short-term rental market—I love it. Um, We're getting, Ty and I are now going back into Miami, and we are ourselves are going to be picking up um, some luxury boutique hotels that we'll also exercise some short-term rentals on. But we have a little bit different business model on it because we're we're utilizing, we're we're working on figuring out the NFT space with real estate. That's our true business model, and we're going to exercise. The short-term rental model, um, through the NFT model uh, and subscription-based model, um, to do that, and so a little bit different. Uh, we're trying to figure out how the NFT space is going to work. So we're, um, so I, I almost call us like it, we're in the in the Airbnb arbitrage model only as like mad scientists trying to figure out the NFT space uh, within that arbitrage model, right? So, um, but it's not really our long-term play. It's not something we say, hey, let's go buy, let's go buy 100 short-term rentals and let's create this Airbnb arbitrage model. Um, that's great. When you're getting started in real estate and you need cash flow and you need active income, it is a great place to start because that money, you can take it, right? And you can hoard that money because it's it's a business that'll generate larger capital. Um, and then once you take that money, now what do you do with it? Do you go buy more Airbnb models, continue growing out this monster of uh of employees, cleaning people, um, people that need to be on the computer, or do you do what we do? Um, we go in. At this point now, we're at a place where we don't even go into anything unless it's a hundred units or more. And I go buy doors, and I go buy apartments, I go buy um, warehouse space, and then I, I push that all off to a, a property management company, and I get a third-party property management company, and and I'll show up to those properties maybe two, three times a year, um, really just to see, make sure that the grass is mowed, there's not yellow spots in my lawns, the, water, the swimming pool's not green, and, and everything is functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning, right? Um, 90% of the time, they don't even know who I am. I walk in the sales management office, no one knows who I am. They, for the, you know, they, they greet me as if I'm a tenant looking for a place to rent um, when I walk into my own hotel, into my own apartment complexes. And I like it that way. I don't want them to know I'm the owner. I don't even want them to know my name. Um, because you know, we've, we've managed enough property and we still manage a little bit of our own retail and lease a little bit of our own retail, um, where, when people know that I'm the guy that I own the place, um, they fight with us, you know, when they want out, everything's good when they, when, when the lease is good, right? But when they want out and they know you're the guy, you're the bad guy, when, when when you don't let them out of their lease. That's legally binded. Right. And so I don't even want people to know me. So I love the, the I love the apartment space because I, I give it to a third party a management company and I audit paper every month. That's it. I audit paper. I look at numbers. I make sure that my ROIs are there. I make sure that the numbers make sense. And, um, and then I walk away from it. I dust my hands off and I go back to work and I run my normal business. And so it's it's about 95 percent hands off. The 5% that I'm involved has to do with auditing paper and a handful, at best, of uh, walkthroughs on the property each year. And and that's it. And, you know, once I finish this Phoenix project, Avery, um, once it's fully stabilized and um, and we, we'll walk away from it, I'll show up there maybe two, three times a year. And that's it. And I'll just cash flow on that sucker for the rest of my life. I like
1: that. That. Aspect. Yeah, there's there are a lot of really good nuggets in there and you and I like don't know each other but that is exactly how I feel about short terms. They're a really 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 great space to get started. And I mean if you want to in there if you just want to have an an army of short term rentals that's great. But a lot of people ask me, well, if you have 189 doors, why do you only have nine short terms? If short terms are so great, why are most of your doors long terms? Well, because the short terms were a springboard. I started on a $37,000 yep. a year salary started making a lot of money in the short terms and i've i've spent every single dollar that those short terms have made have gone into well sometimes they've gone into other short terms but they've gone back into real estate investing in some form or another so even though what i want the listeners to take away from this is even though you and i have wildly different things that we're doing short terms are really turbochargers to invest cash flow turbochargers to invest in literally anything else that you want but it is good to have a diverse portfolio. There's nothing wrong with you know having yeah. 150 short terms if that's what you want to do. I personally like doing the multifamily thing and handing that off to a third party. We self manage our short terms, third party management for our long terms, and it's worked out really well for us so far. So um that's really good, good um business model, I think. And uh so let's talk about now that we've talked about your hotels and short terms and long terms and converting them to multis, let's talk about the other types of businesses, businesses, sorry that you guys have been buying. So you said you were a, a subway franchisee. You've done Pier one, some other things like that. Franchises have always fascinated me. I just have never, you know, gone, taken the time out of my day to go learn about it, but they are fascinating. Yeah.
0: So I'll tell you, I, I I learned a lot about franchising. Um, I didn't know, What we were embarking in at the time Um, the reason that we got into the franchise business was not because we wanted to become a franchisee or we're looking for business opportunity it was post 2008 i had a lot of retail a lot of office this is great for listeners um sometimes you know people go into things and uh, we got sloppy at that time and we were building and building and building and um, when we halted uh, we were in an asset class that really got mutilated, right? Retail and office in 2008 just got beat up. And I had I had new Class A um, centers that were being built, and they were mine. I owned them. They were I was the I was the the, the builder. I was the developer, the builder. Um, I was the broker um, and uh, and the owner. I owned them, built them, um, everything. We did everything in house, and we cut out all the middlemen. And we got stuck in a lot of retail. So the way I got into franchising was I was looking for a good franchise that, um, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel, something that was solid at that time, um, that I could put into my buildings and, um, fill space was why I really did it. And so I looked at the, uh, the being a franchisee, like I look at real estate. Um, I didn't really want the franchises. I wanted the, uh, the tenancy. I wanted the tenant in my buildings. And then, um, once we stabilize that asset, but there's, there's two parts to this, right? You can't, you gotta be a good business owner too. So, um, one asset that i have is i learned how to run businesses early on and what people need to realize about real estate is that even if you have one rental home it's a business um, if you have one uh, fourplex if you have um, one little office building it's a business and so when you run that it's all about profitability right and that's what people um, tend to forget and even tenants will will forget that too you know tenants will try to over leverage you and try to get in for the best deal and you got to remind the tenant say hey when you wake up in the morning, and you go to work, do you go to and work for free? And when they say no, I say, "Oh, great! We don't either. This is a business, right? Like the whole point of the business is for a return on investment." And so, one of the assets that I've had going for me for years, and um, I got this from network marketing, um, that it was a it was a grueling business. Um, five years. Three years, really tough, really grueling. The last two years, I was very successful in it. First three, I sucked. I was horrible at it. But one thing I gained from that was um, was I, I gained the um, how to sell and how to run a business and how to work with people. And, um, and through that, we were able to go out and we kicked ass in the subway business. We would take... Uh, we would take brand new stores that traditionally would do four thousand a week for, and then grow up to like five thousand a week over the course of a year. Um, we would take these stores from zero to, um, to from zero dollars to eight, nine thousand dollars a week in less than sixty days. Um, and Fred DeLuca, the founder, um, came down and said and, and wanted to meet with me and said, Jerome, you you have all these stores, some of them thirteen years old that never did more than five thousand dollars a week. You take ownership of them in sixty days; they're doing. Um, Eight nine thousand dollars a week in revenue. What what the heck are you doing? And um, in our whole business model, Avery was when we got into Subway was to build a portfolio, just like real estate. I looked at it just like real estate. I could just do one. I couldn't just do two. I needed to build a portfolio. So we went in. We got thirteen. We acquired thirteen stores over um, a three year span. And um, and we needed an infrastructure. I needed a middle management. I, I didn't want to run it. You know, I wanted to make sure I had infrastructure set in place, and so um, so we went in. We cleaned up these these. We bought old ones. We put some in our buildings. We bought other ones that were out of our buildings. We bought some that were in the malls, and we created a a model just like you would with Airbnb, just like you would with any traditional business, where we had an infrastructure of employees, and um, and we uh, and, and we ran those stores. And when we ran them, we ran them up, and then we got we had them at a at a high level of revenue we sold them and we sold them for the increased uh, premiums and we made out like bandits it was incredible um the way we uh we we leveraged them and i'll tell you it wasn't uh i didn't think it worked out as well as it did and it did work out well And the only reason we went to subway versus anything else was we looked at everything we looked at Hagen we looked at uh, smash brother hamburgers we looked at um panera breads we were going to bring them to new mexico at that time um, we looked at we looked at all types of uh, different uh, all types of we looked at bueno what was the, the little burrito place uh i can't even remember anymore anyways there was a bunch of them that we looked at and at the time subway was just the strongest financially and uh the, the one that we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. And so we got into franchising. But I'll tell you where the money's made is not being the franchisee. It's a great opportunity for people that want to endeavor, embark on entrepreneurship but and don't know how and need a little bit of guidance. The uh, franchise space is perfect. For somebody like me, it's not perfect. They hated Fred DeLuca the founder, he loved me, but our field consultants and all the uh, people in our area that were making 40 grand a year hated me because they were trying to tell me how to run a business and I wasn't following um, their, their quote unquote model. And um, I told them when they can teach me how to learn, run a 6 million, when they made $6 million a year net profit to come talk to me until then I told them to take a hike. They hated me. And so, um, so anyway, we, we kick them out of our stores.
1: That's hilarious. The, the one phone call worth of experience that I have with franchise, I, I called, there was a, a bunch of people in a mastermind group that I'm in. We're buying these tire companies that are on the West coast and in the Midwest they're not really to the South yet. And um, they were talking about, oh, this is going to be so great. And I called and I talked to one rep. And my husband and I were on the phone and, you know, we were looking for something that we don't, not necessarily passive, but, you know, a system that we can run, not have to be there all the time. And they were saying, oh, we, you know, you have to be in there at the store, like working the register X percent of the time. And we were like, what? And they, they talked to us like we were absolutely crazy that why on earth would we want to buy anything like this if we weren't going to be in the store running it? And I'm like, that's just not what we're not, not we're here for anymore. So anyway, that's, I'm glad to see that I'm not the crazy one and that someone who actually knows what they're doing, like yourself, uh, run, likes to run thing that, things that way too. <laughs> no, it's
0: great. I, the, what the real model is Avery for, for real entrepreneurs. And when I say real entrepreneurs, no one insults anybody because there's a bear of entry for everybody. So you got to take this like a grain of salt. And I understand that 97% of the listeners here are not what I would consider real entrepreneurs, right? You're, you're, you're moonlighting and trying to become an entrepreneur. Um, We we live in a society, hands down, that doesn't teach us how to be self-employed. We we live in a society and we're raised and groomed in an educational system that teaches us how to be employees. And that's just the way our brains work because it's the way um, we've been trained. 14,000 hours in school and we've never been once we're taught how to be entrepreneurs. We were taught how to be employees, right? So um, to no insult to anybody, it's a great way. It's a great bear of entry for people. Um, I think being a franchisee, um, where there's real money to be made, is by being the franchise owner, um, somebody who creates a brand and then franchises it out, and charges a percentage. Um, then you have passive income. You create a business model where other people it's duplicatable. Um, you put systems together that um, you sell the systems. You sell um, a brand that you that you that you uh, stand behind. And just like Planet Fitness, great franchise model, right? Great franchise model. Um, Subway, great franchise model. Um, You take a look at like Panera Bread, great franchise model. Um, You take a look at even um, uh, Chick-fil-A, right? Um, Great franchise model. Um, Less less of a franchise model in all reality. Um, It's more corporately ran, but they kind of lead you by the hand as if it is a franchise model. Um, and so, however, they, they justify the franchising model of, uh, of Chick-fil-A, still a great model, right? So great bear of entry for people that really want to embark in the entrepreneur space, not a great place to stay long-term if you really want to be that independent entrepreneur, um, but a great way to learn how to run a business if you need guidance um, to do so. Um, but if you're a real entrepreneur, figuring out a good business model and a brand that you can, you can franchise yourself. Now that ladies and gentlemen, you can get, you can get wealthy doing.
1: That's amazing. We should have you back for and just unpack all of this for a, a second episode. Uh, but I'm going to move on. So we don't go too long on this one, but I think we definitely need to unpack this whole franchising thing. Cause it's very interesting. And I think a lot of people in the, of our listeners are Buying short term rentals or buying real estate so that they can get out of whatever corporate job they're in so that they can become a real entrepreneur. So, lots of really great information here. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no um, problem. Okay, so let's move into your predictions for where do you think real estate is headed right now? What's your prediction for the market?
0: So, I think we're, we're living through a very unique time, right? Well, so, we got this war with uh, Ukraine and Russia going on, um, we got the Fed. We got the feds sitting back um, working on stabilizing the real estate market. Um, We're, we're sitting back with a lack of inventory, um, a need for, for housing. Um, We have, we have retail changing. We have fulfillment centers coming in. Um, We have e-commerce booming um, at the seams in all sectors. And so people sit back and they go, okay, what, what would the big investors be looking at? And so, you know, some asset classes, just, you know, you might want to pull out your notepads. Um, you know, fulfillment centers are going to be big. Uh, now, there's there's a gameplay in that. It's a little tougher for, uh, for, for just a, a novice investor to get into, right? So I, I was the guy who bought little pieces of real estate in, uh, around the big guys, and that's how we made it. And so small warehouse is going to be a big market sector right now, um, Avery. I mean, no matter how you see it, warehouse space is going to is going to be huge for a while. Um, I like the office warehouse play because there'll always be a need for it um, where you have a small office and some warehouse um, in there because you can always have the mom and pop shops coming in and you can also get um, national tenants in there, too. Um, you can get the small mechanic that needs a spot, the guy that tints windows and does um, auto repair. You can get the... Um, Um, you can get the guys that have mail delivery places that will lease from you you can get like we have a a gentleman who does mechanic work on fire fire engines um, that leases from us um so a lot of uh there's a lot of uh, there's a big need for office warehouse and there will continue to be um so that's a great space to be in multi-family great place to be in another big sector right now that i was just reading on even this weekend um, the multifamily space has gone expensive. You know, I just acquired a piece of land um, in Tucson that we're going to build out um, 85 units of apartments on. Um, we're trying to get 100, but I don't think we're going to be successful at 100 units. I think we're going to be at 85. Um, it's an exceptional piece of land because it's in a very desirable area, the most desirable area in Tucson. So it's, a, it's going to be a really nice prob- property. Um, but the property, like I look at it and I'm even under, I'll own the deal probably forever. They're underwriting at the brokers at four hundred thousand dollars a door of its value, and I sit back and I look at that and I go, "Damn, like why, like why would anybody pay four hundred thousand dollars a door for apartments when you can buy single-family homes, right?" So, to your question and to my, part of my answer, um, I'll own that asset class and we'll buy, we'll build that out for about, and we'll walk into it with about forty percent equity. From the day we stabilize it and we own it, right? So, for us, it makes sense, and we'll own that thing forever. We'll do a cash out refi, cash flow at five at a five six cap on it forever, and we'll make a six figure return annually on that building. um, As we um, we'll make uh, we'll make six figures almost a month on that building, um, just off of uh, just off of our equity play on it, on our internal rate on our cash on cash return. Um, Not to mention our internal rate of return. Um, in our cash that so we'll pull out of that property. But with that being said, for people that are just getting started, when you look around at the market sector, like and you look at like uh, BlackRock, right? And you look at these large institutional buyers and you look what they're doing, okay? When you have to worry, Avery, about where you're, what you're purchasing is when the big guys stop because th- then there's something going on, right? Because they know something, we don't. These guys are backed by our, by the Federal Reserve, right? the the the, Fed, the the federal reserve if people don't know it's it's not a federal agency it's 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 owned and operated and ran by the central banking system okay so when the federal reserve makes changes and modifications um, in in uh, in interest rates it's done it's done by the central banking system and the central banking system is backing all these big institutional buyers and so everything you know it's everything is working hand in hand together and so One of the market studies that I read this past week was that one of the biggest asset classes to go into was single family residential rentals because they're, they're, they're predicting that institutional buyers will own one third of that market play in just the next five years. And the reason why is because the older millennials, people between the ages of 35 and 44, that's the asset class that they're looking for right now. They don't want to own. It's too expensive to own a house right now. Um, They and interest rates are starting to rise. Um, They want to rent, but they don't want to be in apartments anymore either. They they need homes. And so they don't want to own the homes. They want to raise their family in a house, but they still have that millennial mentality. They want that freedom and flexibility to migrate, move, you know, six months to a year on their lease. And they have that freedom and flexibility to migrate, and move if they want to. Um, But they need to raise families now. And so that's a huge market sector. And I think that's where the world's going, is I think single family residential rentals are going to be big, as well as multifamily. Multifamily is not going anyplace. There's a need for rooftops. Uh, But we are going to see the Fed slowly start to increase interest rates. I think that the war is going to slow it down a little bit. Um, we'll find out on, on March 15th and 16th, probably by the time you watch this video. We'll already, we'll already be past that. So you'll be able to see what those predictions that I'm making now are. Um, but I think the Feds, I think we're going to go up a full basis point, which is about a quarter percent of interest. Um, I think they're going to probably go back down to about a half a basis point is my prediction. And they'll, I think by the end of the year, they'll be where they ultimately want to be. But I think it's going to be a slower pro- progression of, it, of, of increasing interest rates. Um, for, so for you investors, don't freak out. We're still at historical lows. Um, you know, interest rates are still at historical lows. Um, we're not, you know, this is the first time since I've been in business um, the last few years that I've ever seen interest rates lower than 5%. I was paying commercial rates over 6% for years, forever, for, uh, for two decades. Um, so we're still at a very, very good place. And, um, and so if you're interested in buying, just understand the cap rates are going to go up. Um, if interest rates rise, cap rates rise. So just be careful buying stuff at sub 4% cap rates, which was very popular this last two years. Um, And just exercise your purchases wisely. Um, We're underwriting deals right now um, at 5% cap rates. Um, We will not buy anything unless it's a 5% cap rates. When we're doing new builds, we underwrite them conservatively saying, okay, let's underwrite this at a 5% cap rate, assuming that interest rates are going to rise. And let's underwrite it with a 10% compressed market variable. So that way, if the market compresses by 10%, if the numbers still work, when you underwrite it with a 10% compression, because the market will compress, ladies and gentlemen, for sure, it will compress. Um, So if we kind of underwrite it with a 10% compression in it, and it still works, the numbers still work, then we're at a good place. And so that's what we're doing. I would advise that other buyers do the same. Um, And that's how you buy buy with wisdom is you kind of look into the future and you exercise on a worst case scenario. And so knowing that we can't stay at the height of this forever and we can't live in this balloon that we're living in forever, um, we know there has to be some type of market correction. We know there has to be some type of market compression. And so knowing that we're just underwriting stuff with that in mind.
1: Lots of very, very wise words on this episode. So now we are to the end of the podcast, and I'm gonna ask you the three questions that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast. The first one is what advice would you give 20-year-old Jerome?
0: <laughs> I should have went bigger, quicker. I wish I would have known <laughs> what I knew in my 20s now. I uh I was, you know, like everybody, I, I was lost. I didn't have direction. Um, I didn't have someone in my back pocket. I wish I had more, I wish I would have had the ability to have an outreach of, of more mentors and better mentors. In my 20s, um, I had good mentors, but um, they weren't in real estate. They were business mentors, and and I had a lot of good friends running in the same direction. But I think a lot of us were running blindly. Um, so I would tell the young 20-year-old Jerome: um, f- hyper focus um, on one one on one area. Don't don't go so broad that you're all over the place that nothing. And that's what entrepreneurs typically do. Uh, We run too broad. Our minds are going, we always want all this different stuff. And I've tried so many different businesses, most of which have all been successful in their own right. But it's also taking me off focus. Um, I wish I would have stayed more hyper-focused on uh, my real estate investments earlier on. And I wish I would have scaled it because my net worth would have been substantially larger. And so the 20-year-old Jerome just wanted to make money, right? Like a lot of 20-year-olds. They want the nice car. They want the big house. And uh, they're not thinking about long-term. And so you make that money actively and you feel like you're wealthy, but you're not wealthy. You're, you might have riches, you have some rent, you have some, uh, a little bit of money, um, but you gotta work for it. And when that money is utilized and, it, and you don't invest it into um, good assets, then you have to go back to work. And the young 20-year-old Jerome just wanted to make a bunch of money. I didn't know about creating wealth. And, um, and so I would have told the 20-year-old Jerome, Jerome, create wealth. The way wealth is created is by acquiring assets. Assets that grow in spite of your own efforts. Live broke for longer. Who cares about the showboat? Invest your capital into assets that are going to grow because then then you'll get to a place where your assets will buy you all of what you want, all the the garbage that you think you want, the motorcycles, the fancy cars, the fancy houses. Then you're going to acquire those. Two years later, a year, not even two years later, a year later, you're going to look in your garage. You're going to look at all that shit you bought. And none of it's going to be attractive to you. You may, you may say, OK, cool, I have it. But it's not really what motivates you. And it wears off really quick. But you know what doesn't wear off? Is the, the, the freedom and flexibility, the lifestyle to do what you want to do. And the only thing that's going to get you there is by, by creating true long-term wealth. And the way you create true long-term wealth is by having assets. Assets that produce cash flow for you in spite of your own efforts. Um, you know, assets that are going to grow along with you as you, as you move through your journey in life.
1: Very great advice. And the second question kind of related to the first is what advice would you give to a new investor? Who's getting started today?
0: Um, get started, get started. Most investors are scared. They don't know. They over, they overlearn, they overlook buy a rental house, but don't complicate it. I didn't know anything about real estate when I got started. Avery, nothing at all. I, I didn't have a mentor to say, "Hey, go buy, go buy a rental house." Um, I just knew that here's what you need to know: real estate appreciates. It's like stocks. If you're if you're willing to go and give a guy at, at uh at A.G. Edwards or uh, Merrill Lynch your money, you should be willing to go and give a guy or gal your money to buy a damn house. It's an asset, and tr- and historically, they go up two to three percent a year um, in value, and so. If you're if you have an appreciated asset, just understand that it makes sense. You don't don't overcomplicate it. Just get started because you're going to learn the game. Problem is most people overanalyze it and they never get started. And um, and when they do get started, they've wasted so much damn time. Um, you're going to learn so much more just by getting started. Just get get started. Start playing the game. Um, you know, buy wise. Don't be you know. Don't be vulnerable to the market circumstances where you're um, high pressured into a deal. Uh, Make a logical decision. It all comes down to simple addition and subtraction and simple multiplication. Uh, Make sure a deal cash flows over what you're going to be paying in a mortgage and and get started. That's what I would tell a new investor. Just get started. Learn the game. Um, You may not make a lot of money on your first deal, and it's okay. Um, That first deal is going to give you um, wisdom that'll create wealth for you long term. But the only way you're going to get into the game is by getting started i think too many people are looking for that horn that home run that pink unicorn in their first deal you're not going to find it and if you do good for you but get started because once you get started you're going to find deals out there and you're going to learn and through that through that uh, education you will create wealth um, but you got to get started so that's what i would tell any new investor getting started is just to get in the game
1: also great advice and last question what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset
0: um you know a lot of we talk a lot about real estate here right and we're talking a lot about real estate and people think i I know people would um probably think that it's a real estate book uh i I don't think i've ever read one real estate book except for probably robert kiyosaki's rich dad poor dad right which really doesn't even talk a lot about real estate it talks more about mindset and rich dad poor dad right so even though robert kiyosaki is a gold investor and in real estate. It's a good book. Um, uh, still not my favorite. I, I think it's one of the best books out there. Um, I love books like think and grow rich and I love the oldies of, uh, how to win friends and influence people, which are, are also great books and how to win friends and influence people is probably my number two book. Um, but I'd say that my favorite book, because if, maybe it's fits my personality, but I think everybody should read this no matter what your personality is, is a book by, um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a book called Rhino success. By Scott Alexander, and the reason is because in your journey, in business, in real estate, no matter what you do, our biggest issues, ladies and gentlemen, is is not knowing how to buy real estate. It's what's up here. And what I like about this book is it brings simplicity to life. Um, and what I mean by it brings simplicity to life is um, we challenge ourselves mentally so much that we overthink things so much that we never get started in things. And so it's the mindset that we have and we've been bred into. And so the, what I like most about the book Rhino Success, and I got rhinos on my desk over here, I got them on my logos, is because it utilizes the rhino as an analogy for the perfect business person. Um, how, how a rhino acts, you know, they're vegetarians, you know, they're, they're not carnivores, they're not out to go rip your head off. Um, but you see the horn on the front of that rhino? If you piss off a rhino, that horn is going up your ass. And so plain and simple, they're aggressive. They can be aggressive in nature if you piss them off and they need to be. But they're not. They're calm, cool, and collective animals. They move and graze with, um, um, you know, in, in, a, in a very fair way. And they have really thick skin. So the small things in life don't bother them. And so they, this book talks about um, the mind of a rhino and the mind of a business owner. And it correlates the two. And it's a great book. To get you um, just to exercise your brain, in the way you should uh, you should think as an individual, as a person, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, um, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and it's a crude book, crude, super crude, and I like crude because crude is real, and when you when you can be dead honest with somebody, um, in spite of um, them trying to be super proper. Um, that's when stuff gets done because that's real life. You know, real life is not proper. I mean, none of us out here, none of, none of you guys listening to this are proper. So all that bullshit set aside and all that properness that people try to pretend they have, it's it's, it's, it's garbage. You know, we all have our imperfections. You go into your, your own life, you go in behind your own closed door at your home. We all know what our black demons are and we all know what our, our shortcomings are, right? We all have them, all of us, indefinitely. And so going in and, and reading through the, the eyes of a crude book are, I like because it brings truth to everything. And so you guys can even hear it in my voice. You know, I I, I kind of speak truth in everything I do. I try to be as real with people as I can and very transparent. Um, I love the book. So that's my, that's my go-to for all of you guys. All of you listeners on here is an oldie, but goodie.
1: I will definitely check that one out. Yeah. Well, Jerome, thank you so, so much for coming on. If our listeners want to learn more about you, where can they find you?
0: Well um, my name's here in the chat. Um, you just google me. I'm everywhere. Um, Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, YouTube. Um, you guys can DM us. Um, you guys can hit us up. My, uh, my name is our ulR uh, Jeromealtinaado.com. Uh, you can get in contact with me, and my team um, and, uh, and everybody that's associated around us. Um, if you guys want to hear more, uh, we do a lot of we put a lot of content out on YouTube regularly, um, weekly. And we do our real talk on real estate every Wednesday. So if you guys want to find us, just uh, Google my name and uh, you'll find us on every platform like Jerome Maldonado or JeromeMaldonado.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you again so much for coming on. We'll catch you later.
0: Avery, thank you. Just really appreciate you guys having me in, in, in the outreach. And a gr- a thank you for all you listeners out there.